the Ghost Goal Podcast. Arsenal suffered their first league defeat of the season at Old Trafford to a resurgent Manchester United, while Liverpool and Manchester City suffered roadblocks against bottom-half opposition with draws against Everton and Aston Villa respectively. VAR also experienced another turbulent weekend as controversial decisions impacted the Chelsea West Ham game and many, many more throughout the league. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 370. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Javier, how you doing, man? Uh, I know it's the first league defeat of the season, but I feel like there's uh, enough for you to be, you know, confident about and uh, positive about that you shouldn't be uh, you shouldn't be too down on this episode, right? Yeah, no, not at all. I'm doing well, Alex. Thanks. How are you doing? It's, uh, it's been, I'm chilling. Chilling. I know you're I'm down at, at the, the beach. beach. I'm jealous I'm right now. The... I was about to say I'm jealous. I'm on my vacation for the weekend. <sighs> I'm having a good time. I'm nicely drunk right now. Just got back with, from uh, dinner with the family. If you hear me slur my words, people, that is why. Uh, please uh, give me a little bit of leeway here. <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out. We'll get through it. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's let's talk about some Premier League soccer. So. Let's just jump right into that Manchester yeah. United Arsenal game. I mean, By far to. the biggest game of the weekend. Start. Yeah, it was it was the, the the biggest result. I mean, Arsenal's win streak stopped. United now have four straight wins. You know, they suddenly are uh, are above teams like Chelsea and Liverpool. Yeah. Okay. Again, we're not looking at the table. We're not looking it's at the table. But in. I'm saying. But we, I'm saying for we their don't look start, at the table the until week had. ten. Okay. But but that okay. It's this is all relevant though, to how the season goes right because their first two games were disastrous they lost four nil to brentford right so to go from that to winning four straight games is a, is a turnaround it's a big turnaround and that's what i just two of those like, you know and, and two and, of those being against arsenal mean, and liverpool that has to be mentioned like that's the main thing that i think people should be looking at is that you know the two home games they've had yes they had away wins against southampton and leicester those are two okay teams but the home wins they needed that win against liverpool coming off the two win, or the two losses to start the season. And then this Arsenal game is kind of like reaffirming that what Eric Ten Hag has going on at Manchester United is something real. They are improving at the very least. And they're, they're yet to even bring a player like Casemiro fully into the lineup. He, Mc, McTominay started again and, you know, wasn't great, but, you know, still yeah, let's, let, let, held let's down the midfield. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk about this game. Because sure, go into it. In the, in the first half, I mean, the first 10 minutes, Manchester United did their thing, you know, their crowd was behind us, you know, we, we, we were just defending and United had, you know, like kind of a, ha- a half chance and, and kept possession and, and, you know, looked good. And then for the last 30 minutes of the second half, Arsenal just completely dominated the game and had, you know, multiple chances. We had that Martinelli goal, fucking beautiful finish, chalked off for that foul apparently 15 minutes earlier on Ericsson. Give uh, your official sense on that foul. Yeah, and I, I mean, okay, I think... When Should you the watch goal it, have been overturned? No, because I think that the referee was two feet away. The referee You're had crazy. a full vision, full vision of it, right? Full vision. He was watching it, and he thought it was enough just... You, you know, it, basically, the, the guy got caught on the ball, dude. He got caught on the ball. He got, he got slightly nudged, but that's absolutely nope. enough contact... Nope. That's misinformation. I'm sorry. He okay. threw himself. Odegaard gets none of the ball. None of it. Nowhere close to the ball. He fully takes out Ericsson's leg closest side to him, which puts him down. 
I, okay, you, you sent me, and this is a private conversation, but you still forwarded me a, a message of a clip from the Brighton-Leicester game where uh, Brighton scored, I think, their first goal from a foul in the buildup where they won the ball back. I think, actually, it was Leicester who scored it, Iannaccio's goal. Leicester won the ball high up the field, fouled a player to win it back, and the goal was not chalked off. I, I will be completely consistent and say that that should not have stood either. But that also means that the the uh, Martinelli goal shouldn't stand because it was a clear foul in the buildup. Now, you can say, like, oh, the referee was two yards away, but wh- what evidence do we have to say that a referee can make any sort of consistent decision nowadays? Like, Anthony Taylor was two yards or five yards away from the Kukurea-Romero uh, incident in the Chelsea-Tottenham game, and he still, you know, it went to VAR, and he was still looking straight at it, and he didn't make any decisions. So these referees, you, they can't be trusted. VAR definitely still cannot be trusted, so I understand your, you know, hesitancy to agree with the decision there. But the way I, f- I think of it every time, and we'll come to this soon with the Chelsea-West Ham game, the way I think about every VAR decision is, how would I feel if that happened in favor of my team or against my team? And I think Arsenal fans, if a similar goal was scored against them, you would be, in, you would be enraged by the foul in the buildup that led to that goal. So that's what leads me to believe that that goal, that that was the correct decision for the Martinelli goal. But that being said, Arsenal still performed amazingly. You guys got the equalizer after pushing for a lot of the the early part of the second half. You were pushing for the winner. And I think a lot of people thought that Arsenal were going to push on and get that winner. But Man United's, you know, the, what they've been great at the last like yeah, few years, even before Ten Hag, is that, that counterattack. Exactly. And Rashford, Ugh. he did the same thing against Liverpool. That's where Man United are at their absolute best. And it's part of Ten Hag's job to figure out how to evolve them from being just a counterattacking team. But for now, if he can get results by counterattacking like that and taking advantage of Rashford's pace on the counter, then that's great for them. They'll, they'll figure God, it out as they go how along. How many times has Arsenal just fucking debuted a Manchester United toy. You know, this goes back years, back to Wayne Rooney. He scored on his debut for Manchester United against Arsenal. Then they've, they got, uh, you know, Felipe Makeda himself scored. Okay. Well, that was, that was a terrible, that was, he wasn't like a a legend or anything, but he scored on his debut. Uh, Rashford himself. Yeah. Rashford scored on his debut against Arsenal. All of these players were debuted against Arsenal and scored. Rashford got a brace on his debut against Arsenal. There, there was just like, ugh. There's a lots of United players who, they United have played a shitload of money, started them against Arsenal, and then we've event like they they score on us. I mean, Anthony was. Uh, you could tell that he was nervous in his first game. He was passing the ball back a lot. You know, did did a little yeah. bit of tricks and flicks for the most part, and then, you know, his goal was just a well taken. 1v1 with the keeper. I mean, it was it was composure, good finish, but nothing nothing special. Any any player in Manchester United should be able to to finish that chance. So it was it was more Arsenal's failure to to someone following him. You know, Zinchenko went narrow and Saliba got beaten and the 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 ball went through. Bruno Fernandez is just he's he's back to being at his best without Cristiano Ronaldo in the team. I've I've been saying it for not at his best that he not the peak that he was when he was scoring shitloads of goals, but it looks like it's coming, you know. At least offensively he's creating chances, he's starting to dictate play a lot more and get more on the ball because him and Eriksen are starting to get an understanding. And then whoever the butcher that fucking 
Ten Hag has behind them, whether it's McTominay or Casemiro, you know, they're going to be there to, to clean up and get them the ball. So they're just going to recycle Fernandez and Erickson. If they, I, I feel like if one of those two players go down, though, I mean, Erickson was amazing as well. Erickson destroyed us. In those last 30 minutes, he was just playing through balls, and, and he's great for that, that type of system. I didn't realize how good he was going to be with players like Rashford, Anthony, the speed of of Elanga and and even you know Cristiano Ronaldo like like still has some speed. So these players, when they you know get long balls from Eriksen or Fernandez, they're going to be scoring goals. And for Arsenal, I mean, it was it was yeah. Uh, I was going to say, well, yeah. give your uh, I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt here. Obviously, you guys lost three one, but like I was saying, there's still plenty of like positive takes or things to take away from this well yeah and i'm not worried i mean it wasn't uh, at some point we were going to lose a game we weren't going to keep winning forever obviously this team's nowhere near good enough and we we had a few injuries in this game you know missing thomas Partey has been you know very very annoying um you know ben white wasn't fully fit in this game i don't know why tomiyasu didn't start i i kind of wish he had because we needed more of a threat from that right back uh, Saka was just too locked down. There wasn't an, enough threat behind him, so he was always two v one, and it's hard to hard to you know score goals when you're always two v one and there isn't there isn't an overlapping player who can draw the defender out. So right now, Bukayo Saka, you know he people are, he's not scoring goals. He's still playing so well. He still takes up so many defenders. He takes up he gets fouls all the time. He's still getting assists. I mean it. it the, He's a player that once he starts getting more support later on in the season with, with Tomiyasu, you know, hopefully coming into the team more and more of an attacking presence, him, Tierney, Tomiyasu, all of those players, you know, they, they help the wingers as well. So with Arsenal, it, it was it was just, a, like you said, it was a 50-50 game. We had chances. We dominated for, I think, 60% of the game, I would say we dominated, and, and they, they probably had 40% of the game, um, which at, at an away opponent, you know, you should be winning that, but... They took their chances better than we did, and and we didn't have our, our best day. So, but I wasn't worried because we played well. You know, it wasn't like we got blown away, and and the, like right. we could have easily won that game if we get that first goal in the first half, and we go up one nil. I'm almost sure Arsenal wins that game. You know, so it, it's just because that goal got chalked off, it really gutted us, and them getting the first goal. You know, for us to be able to come back, that was great. You know, that was that still showed that the team had had metal. You know, we didn't just get fucking pounded three nil. So, I uh, still yeah, like you said, lots of positives. I'm happy about it. I'm not uh not not sad with the loss at all. Yeah, I think if you'd offered Arsenal fans a uh, you know five wins to start the season and then their first loss came at Manchester United in you know game six, I think. Every single one of you, most of you would have, you know, bitten someone's hand off to get that uh, that kind of start to the season. So, yeah, it's not all it's not all over. It's not a huge indicator for the rest of the season. I'm sure you guys will bounce back at home against Everton next week. Uh, that's uh, I mean, after Everton's recent performances, which we'll get to in a second here. Uh, it, it's not an easily winnable game, but Arsenal should still expect to win that and bounce back. So. Uh, moving on in the Premier League, later on Saturday, Manchester City went down to Aston Villa, as I mentioned, and uh, hit a bit of a roadblock. They drew 1-1 with Villa, who are struggling so far this season. Even at Villa Park, I think a lot of people were expecting Manchester City, you know, with the league's fresh, shiny new toy. Away, yeah. yeah, we thought we were, they were all going to blow them away for sure, but uh, Erling Haaland got his goal. 
Uh, and then Aston Villa equalized about 20 minutes later when Leon Bailey uh, scored. But did you get to watch this game? I, I didn't because I was uh, driving over here to the beach, but I, I've seen the extended highlights since. And uh, it looked like Villa were like very much worth the point. Yeah, no, they uh, they really restricted City's shots on target. I mean, they were they've worked really hard. John McGinn for once wasn't completely useless like he has been recently for Villa. Um, and the Damn, shots fired at John McGinn has he yeah, really been John completely McGinn useless? Is, uh, he's he he should, just shouldn't be in the team. He, there should be. Um, they just like made the, him uh, captain. I know he shouldn't be in the team. He's their oh, worst wow. player by far. He makes that team so much worse. Um, but they fought, they started Douglas Louise in this game, and he was amazing. Um, he was able to distribute the ball and 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 get get Villa up the field and just relieve some of that pressure that was constantly coming down from City. And you know, City do lose a little bit with Erling Holland with their pressing game. You know, it's a little bit harder for them to catch opposing teams like making mistakes. You know, teams in a low block can still sit back which is what this Villa team, they worked really hard. And, and in the end, they probably should have won. You know, there was a goal that was chalked off that was not yeah, offside Coutinho at all. Yeah, scored. And it was a beautiful goal off the bar and in, and there's no way the keeper was going to save that. And there was nothing, to, like every, the, the whole play, there was nothing that the keeper would have been able to do. And it, uh, yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty uh, annoying that the, the VAR kind of prevented that loss from happening because City probably should have lost I that can- game. What I couldn't understand from that, and maybe I need to look into it a bit more, but it seemed like on that one, it wasn't the VAR that was in question. Uh, Coutinho was onside, and when the ball was played, the Aston Villa uh, player, I think it was Bailey, he, he meant to square it for someone else who was arriving. And Coutinho was up a little bit further inside the box, and... Uh, when the player that uh, Bailey tried to square it to couldn't get on the end of it, Coutinho curled his run backwards towards the ball and away from the goal, picked up the ball, turned, shifted his body to the right, and then just blasted it and put it off the post and in. But before he did that, I think like right around the time he picked up the ball, yeah, the, the, ref blew the, the linesman the linesman had the flag up and the ref blew the whistle and called the goal off. Usually when I've seen that in games... If the player ends up scoring, it goes to VAR, and if the player's onside, then VAR says that's a goal, it's allowed. But because, I think the reason that was given when I, when I saw it was that the referee had already blown the whistle, the play was dead, VAR doesn't come, in, come into it. So, I don't know, there's a bit of inconsistency going on there that is a little unsettling, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems like that's a, a major theme in the Premier League the last like week or a couple of weeks. So, but Villa yeah, Villa were worth the know, point. Yeah, Villa and Villa showed here that they're you know there's still something there for this team. You know, they still have a lot of quality in this team. They're starting to figure it out little by little, and uh, this this is a huge result for them, huge point. And for City, I mean, I don't know if it matters, man. Like I know that these they're having some few right. early early season slip ups, like points here losing here and there but like they haven't lost yet remember they lost the first game they lost the first game of last season to tottenham at at spurs when son scored and they 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 usually have like one or two games where they draw or lose but when october november rolls around they start that 14 game winning streak that you know wins them the title essentially so i don't think you can take too much from these early season like slight slip-ups like this like Newcastle and Aston Villa away, when Aston Villa are, you know, right and they're playing well at home, that's still a tough fixture. So, 
yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take too much yeah, uh, from this in terms of worrying about City. Erling Holling scored again, and he now has double digits for the season on September 5th. As many goals, or actually, I think more goals he in six games than Timo Werner digits. scored in 56 games. 56 <laughs> games, and this is September 5th. That's insane. The man's continuing his crazy goal uh, output that he's did since he came on the scene as a kid. It's always been a freak of nature, so... Yeah, so uh, Aston Villa, good point for them. Manchester City, again, not too much to worry about from this. Uh, They'll figure it out eventually, and they're still playing pretty well. Uh, But let's move on to one of the more controversial games of the weekend. Uh, Chelsea uh, edged out a 2-1 win against West Ham at home. Didn't look good for most of the game, uh, but uh, Mikel Antonio scored uh, midway through the second half before goals from Ben Chilwell and Kai Havertz uh, won the game for Chelsea. And then a controversial decision right at the end of the game as Maxwell Cornet uh, equalized. Uh, but it was overturned by VAR after they judged that Jared Bowen had fouled Benjamin Mendy in the buildup. Now, I'm just going to put this out there right now for full transparency. That was bullshit. That goal should have stood. That was not a foul. Maybe by the book, they can rationalize it and say like, oh, Bowen touched Mendy after Mendy failed to secure the ball. But all again, I have to bring back the thought process of if that happened against my team, if my team equalized yeah, in the same scenario, I would be it, right. I would be enraged by that. So you have to be consistent with this as a fan. But the problem is that VAR and these referees are not being as consistent. I, I mean, obviously, there are the delusional fans that will believe whatever they want in favor of their own team. And obviously, we can't take them seriously. You have to try and be individually as impartial and consistent as a fan with te- with decisions that go against your team as or t- as, with decisions that go in favor of your team as you are with decisions that go against your team. And Chelsea fans have had a lot of decisions go against them because of VAR. I mean, you can look back three weeks to the Tottenham game with the Kukurea hair pull and by Romero that wasn't given as even a yellow card, let alone a red card. And then you can come back to this one and say VAR is, you know, absolutely choking it right now. That these huge decisions and pivotal points of big games right at the end are just being completely fucked up consistently. That being said, I, I can't lie. I, I was very much like celebrating that poor VAR decision like it was a goal that Chelsea scored when it happened. I was hoping that we got bailed out, but I wasn't optimistic because we've been screwed over so many times before. But Chelsea end up uh, walking out with a 2-1 win, second straight 2-1 win at home. Uh, second straight win coming from behind or, or, or I guess second straight or a win at home coming from behind with a lot of controversy. I was happy to get the, the result, but there are still plenty of things to work out. So I, I don't know if you got the chance to watch this one. Like, were you watching the, this one out of the 10 a.m. games? Um, yeah, I was switching back and forth between them. I was watching. I watched part of it. Um, I really didn't like the way Chelsea looked um, and just in most of that first half. Um, just the five at the back. I just I don't know if it suits Chelsea that well. I especially with with the with Connor Gallagher and and, and Mateo Kovacic in, in midfield. For me, it wasn't. I mean, it, it. You guys can control possession with it, but it's really hard for Chelsea to create chances. And 
quality chances. So there's, you know, you, you guys cross the ball into areas that are kind of dangerous, but there isn't a lot of consistent threat. And it just doesn't seem like you have the team suited to, to play a five at the back. When you guys bring on, brought on players like, you know, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, Broya, you switch to, you know, like a 4-3-3 Chilwell who got the goal. You guys switch to more attacking, you know, not really a three at the back. I mean, you took off took off more defensive players like, you know, like Kovacic. I, I think we were in a three, in, three at the back throughout that. I, I, think it, I think it was the fact that we shifted from starting with Raheem Sterling and Christian Pulisic as the only two forwards while Kovacic and Gallagher were either side of Loftus-Cheek in midfield. We were playing crosses in the first half and for a little bit of the, the early part of the second half. We were playing crosses into the box when there was no one in the box. I mean, Sterling and Christian Pulisic are not going to win those headed chances in the box against players like Zuma anyway. But we were doing it regardless of that. Once we brought on Havertz and Broya, one of those two players could occupy a defender or two. And if a ball was played into the box, it was more threatening than previously when we had you know small, quick players like Sterling and, and Pulisic. We also, like Ben Chilwell, it has to be said, I, once he came into the game, he changed everything. Kukurea is a very good player in his own right. He works hard. He's good defensively. He can get up and down that left wing. But Ben Chilwell just brings like an like an extra factor to that left wing back spot that a player like Reese James brings on the right. He just has that clinical like finishing ability, whether it's for the equalizer. Like, I mean, by the way, one of the goals of the weekend. Bounced off the top of his head, located it early slipped it through the goalkeeper's legs, got us back in the game out of nothing. Um, and then he plays the ball, uh, you know, from the byline, cut it back for Kai Havertz to slam in for the winner. So Ben Showell, 100% great to see him back being involved in meaningful ways for Chelsea after that, that terrible injury he suffered in December of last year. But we definitely need to find a way, you know, bringing in a player like Aubameyang, who I guess we can talk about now because we haven't really had a chance to talk about these deadline day transfers. Bringing in players like Aubameyang, Sterling, and having Broya to like bring into the mix, who you know is confirmed he's going to be with Chelsea all of the season. He just signed a new six-year deal. They're clearly showing a statement of intent there that Broya is a young player that Chelsea believes in. These are good, new, fresh attacking options that I think can improve Chelsea going forward. It's just a matter of you know controlling midfield a bit more and being more committed to creating the kinds of quality chances Prepare that those players to are going to feast off of. Alex. I, I, I remember fully you prepared, laughing at Aubameyang playing up top. Yes, absolutely. Prepare I'll own up to, to that. But, but Javier, before before I launch into my Aubameyang take, please, as the Arsenal fan who has watched him for many years, give me, as much as you can, your purest, most impartial take on how Aubameyang will do at Chelsea this season. I think he's the type of player that if he gets confidence and, and gets the chances, he'll give you goals. I mean, he, he still has that ability to finish out of nothing and he's always surprised me at Arsenal so it surprised me that he went to Barcelona and, and scored double digit goals there so he kind of just scores goals everywhere he goes no matter what even if you don't think he's going to do well and even though in his last you know the last part of the season for Arsenal that half of the season to be fair to him he got he had like COVID malaria like his mom got sick like it's kind of understandable that his form dropped during that time, and I don't know if, if he'll be bad for Chelsea. I think he can he could definitely get 12, 13 goals for Chelsea. 
I don't think it's unreasonable. I mean, the, the team creates a lot of chances, and he's he's a finisher. He's a poacher, so. I think, I think he'll definitely get double-digit goals. Yeah, he scored 11 in 17 league games for Barcelona after joining in January. So that's definitely a good sign. La Liga in general, I think, has dropped off a, a little bit over the last couple of years. So maybe there's a, a bit of a boost to those numbers as a result. But, you know, he performed in some big games, too. Scored against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu when, Arcel- when Barcelona beat the crap out of them there. Real Madrid were the eventual European champions and a, like a very good team. So that, that that's a good sign to take, but or to take away. But I mean, I, I have to say, if you asked me at the beginning of the transfer window, if Chelsea were going to sign an attacking player, uh, a goal scorer, who would I want? Aubameyang would not really be in the top five of that list. I've never been a really big fan of, you know, from the outside, his his attitude his consistency, things like that. I, I ridiculed you many times and ridiculed Arsenal many times that he's not good enough by himself. Now, I, I think he can still have value to this Chelsea team. Like you said, 11 or 12 goals, that would be the baseline for what I would require from him. And we're talking strictly in the Premier League here. In all competitions, we have a pretty cushy Champions League group with Dinamo Zagreb, who will play tomorrow. If they beat us, please don't you know come back to make fun of me, but we should beat teams like Dino Zagreb and Salzburg. He should have a good time in the Champions League, getting his confidence back with teams like that. And even AC Milan, I, I feel like he should do well against one of his former clubs. And maybe as a result, it leads to him, you know, getting more confidence and doing well in the Premier League. But uh, I, I do worry less so about his goal scoring prowess and more so about his commitment to contributing to Thomas Tuchel's team press. Like, there were games for Arsenal, and some games against Chelsea as well, where Aubameyang was excellent in the press. His commitment to, like, help the team was, like, second to none. You you could not criticize him in certain games for Arsenal. But there were a lot of games in the league against lesser opposition where... It just seemed like he was waiting for his chance to score a goal. And I don't I, I don't want another player like Romelu Lukaku who is con- disengaged from how the team performs and only waiting for him to get his. I need a player starting up top for Chelsea who's fully committed to everything that the team is doing. Pressing high, contributing and build up, not just focusing on scoring goals, but you know maybe playing in a final ball that a, a player like Sterling or Mount or Havertz can run onto. If Tuchel, who's managed Aubameyang before, and I think you can make an argument that Tuchel got the best out of Aubameyang, if he can get Aubameyang on the same page as the rest of the team, then it could be an absolute coup. It was about 12 million, I think, plus a Marcus Alonso. He's 33 now, so that, that that's a pretty fair amount, I think, for the transfer fee. But if Tuchel can get like one or two good seasons out of him, then it could end up being a coup. But I'm I, I don't know about that. I'm he not fully two convinced. Two golden boots at Arsenal. Calm yourself, out. But would you say the manager, Unai Emery or Mikel Arteta, was the reason for that? And one of those doesn't count because he tied with, with Salah, Salah and, Mane. Yes, and Mane. But, all right. Listen, Alex. I, I agree with you. He, he'll probably be pretty good. But I do want to talk about West Ham a little bit because I thought they were pretty good. Um, I thought that they played their game well, you know, were compact. I, it was an interesting kind of three at the back with Zuma, Carrer and Kufal um, with like Emerson and Fornals as wingbacks. It was kind of uh, kind of weird. And then they're Suchek so frustrating to play middle. against. It's an absolute like bore to play against. But they they, can they keep did the what ball they needed to do. Well. Declan Rice was amazing. 
like yeah, he play, finally played really well in that game. It seemed because there was just so much space in the midfield that let players like Rice boss the game. But, you know, it, Jared Bowen had a pretty decent game. Like you said, Antonio scored. And there was there was some quality on the bench for West Ham. You know, they had players like Cornette and Ben Rama to come out, Lanzini. They have Ariola as their goalkeeper on the bench. Fabianski's starting, but, you know, that might, that might change soon. There, I think there's levels to this West Ham team, and... I think they'll definitely be pushing Newcastle for that for that seventh spot. We haven't had a chance to talk about it, but what do you think of that Lucas Paqueta signing? He started in this game and was it was pretty good. I, I'm thinking that that's a good signing, but they spent a lot to get him. I think something like sixty million pounds to get him from Leon. Arsenal. Wanted what are your thoughts him, so, on that? Yeah, a lot I mean, of Arsenal, Arsenal Newcastle. Him. I would have absolutely taken him. Um, I think he's a great player. I mean, he plays for the Brazilian national team. He's he's played on big clubs. You know, Leon, AC Milan, and, you know, he, he, he plays for the... He, he will probably be going to Qatar. Like, I, I mean, he may get an injury and still be left out, but even though he moved to West Ham, I still think he could be in that squad going to Qatar. He's he's that good. He's more, more of an attacking midfield player, but can play as a box-to-box uh, influence as well. He worked his ass off against Chelsea, and I expect him to do the same in many games going forward this season. Um, I, I just think it's he hasn't had the sort of like attention on him at Lyon that he may have had if he stayed at a club like AC Milan. And now that he's in the Premier League with West Ham, I wouldn't be surprised if like a year or two from now, he's being looked at by one of the much bigger clubs. I think even right at the last minute of signing for West Ham, Manchester City may have come in for him. But I think that the playing time was like a big factor for him that he wanted to be playing consistently so that he could make that Brazilian World Cup team. And that that's much more realistic at a club like West Ham still competing in the Premier League. And, you know, I think it's a huge the, upgrade on Lanzini or Ben Rama. So, yeah, absolutely. A, that's a big, big player for them. And that'll that'll change the level that this team can go. Um yeah, excited to see for them how the, how that goes. Not excited for the rest of the league, you know, for Arsenal when we play them because it's going to be to make it that much that much harder. It's a huge signing for them. I mean, it completely changes the outlook of their window. Yeah, let's get to this uh, Everton Liverpool Merseyside derby. Uh, it was a nil nil draw that took place uh, the early game on Saturday, seven thirty a.m. here in the states, but twelve thirty p.m. in uh, in England. Huge games from Jordan Pickford and uh, Alison Becker. Uh, both goalkeepers had excellent performances, uh, keeping the clean sheet. Uh, both teams hit the bar multiple times, uh, and obviously Everton will come away from that much more happy than uh, Liverpool will uh, as, as they try to get their season back on track. But uh, the, you know, Everton scored a goal that was overturned by uh, for offside by uh, VAR. Uh, I think rightly turned uh, overturned. I think it has to be mentioned after the, all that VAR slander, uh, but. What were your thoughts on this game? I woke up and sort of half-heartedly watched it, thinking ever or thinking Liverpool would pull out the win. But Everton, you got to give them credit; they uh, they're starting to form themselves into kind of a formidable squad at the moment, right? Yeah, it's interesting how Alex Iwobi suddenly become a, a good defensive midfielder and box-to-box threat, and uh, honestly, is is kind of like the. Everton's best player along with uh with Anthony Gordon, you know, they they both are uh the main outlets for Everton and he's kind of now paying that uh that transfer fee off because if if they end up staying up, he's going to be a big part of it. 
Um, and then for Liverpool, it's just, it's kind of weird for me, the, the, the vibe right now. I don't know why they're, I mean, they had a lot of chances again in this. They had that, uh, Darwin Nunez chance that hit the, the woodwork. I think Diaz hit the woodwork. He hit the woodwork right after Nunez, uh, did. It was a did. beautiful shot. It should, it deserved the goal, but, uh, hit like the inside of the crossbar and, you know, just ricocheted, uh, out of play but I mean just Liverpool have a few injuries right now right they don't have very good midfield it feels like Fabinho is not at his best right now you know he gets still he's been getting yellow carded he did in this game it kind of shackled him and and players like Harvey Elliott and Fabio Carvalho while they're probably going to be great players in the future Liverpool are suffering a little bit, having to give them game time now. And this always comes with playing inexperienced players. Joe Gomez as well. You know, they started with Samaikas, Costas, Samaikas? How do you say that? I think. I've heard Simikas. Simikas, yes, Simikas. But yeah, playing players like that, you know, it's it's good for Liverpool's future because those players are eventually going to be playing for Liverpool starting and they look great. You know, Carvalho in, in bursts. He got that winner for Liverpool in, in that last game they played. Harvey Elliott's been pretty good. He's gotten goals. He's he's gotten assists. He's, you know, he's... Uh, but he, they also make mistakes. They lose the ball. Um, and Mohamed Salah just hasn't been at his best. I mean, since the... Af- yeah, I mean, back from the, the they're, starting, they're starting from zero, basically, again, with him and Nunez. Um, Nunez came back into the team for this Everton game. I, I don't want to say he was bad, I, I don't even want to say Liverpool were bad. I, I think Klopp just took like a necessary risk by starting Carvalho and Elliott, either side of Fabinho in midfield, along with, you know, the forward line you would assume he would play with Diaz, Nunez, and Salah. I don't even want to say it backfired. I just think they got a little unlucky. They created plenty of chances. Roberto Firmino came into the game and he had three um, great chances that Pickford, Pickford did even better. Pickford, Pickford just had one of those un- games. Yeah, Pickford was we, we, unreal. We've seen Pickford do this where he just, it doesn't matter how many good chances you create. There are some days where he's just going to save pretty much everything unless you finish with absolute world-class like quality. Like, Liverpool couldn't Liverpool muster that, that and they one drew. Game 9-0. It's just, I know that at some point they're just going to go on a run. They're going to win 100%. five, six, seven, eight games in a row. We're all going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we were just kidding, Liverpool. Like, So I think it's going to come eventually. I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. And these are... These are pains that come with integrating new players, with losing huge players like Mane, and Liverpool will be okay. They'll be okay. I'm not too worried right now for them. I think that they're they're creating enough chances. They're playing well. They'll they'll get their players back from injury eventually, and then it's why with Arsenal I'm not too worried either because I think if we have a full squad, we're 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 winning that game at Old Trafford. But we had enough key players out, and it. You know there was enough fifty fifties that didn't go our way that that you know you can you can lose games like that and with Liverpool right now they're 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 losing a lot of these fifty fifties too they're getting you know not mate not taking their chances they're you know they've had red cards injuries whatever it is um, at some point it'll 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 even out and 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 they'll start getting wins again. Okay, real quick before we wrap up, let's uh, hit on. A clash closer to the bottom of the table between two promoted sides. Uh, Nottingham Forest went up 2-0 against Bournemouth on Saturday during the 10 a.m. time slot. Goals from Chikowate and a penalty by Brennan Johnson just before halftime had Forest thinking they were sitting pretty. 
before Bournemouth turned it around with goals from Philip Billing, uh, Dominic Solanke, and, and then Jaden Anthony scored the winner in the 87th Jack minute. So Bournemouth uh, are now sitting on, uh, I think, six points? No, seven points. They drew uh, Wolves in midweek last week. So Bournemouth, after losing those three games to like the top six teams with the, that they played in Manchester City, Arsenal, and then Liverpool, getting hammered in all of those games... Now they have seven points, and they look like one of the best teams out of the uh, promoted teams alongside Fulham. So, huge result for Bournemouth. I I would say a very worrying result for Nottingham Forest, especially from such a strong winning position at home, where we we kind of expect Nottingham Forest to, you know, find most of their joy and and gain most of their points. They've got a great home atmosphere there. For them to lose a two-goal lead and to to a fellow relegation rival in Bournemouth, a, a promoted team like that, that's going to be hugely demoralizing to them. And I guess we've got to see how all of these 21 signings that they've made during the window, which is obscene in itself, but these 21 signings, whichever ones haven't appeared for them yet, uh, they're going to need them to come into the team and, and really improve them. So yeah, they still played that cook Warhol McKenna backline, and you're going to give up chances, man. You know, you can't, you can't keep playing that back line and, expect that you're uh, you're not going to be leaking goals. And I think what was huge for Bournemouth was getting Dominic, Dominic Solanke back. And uh, he finally He's been available, but they, they haven't been playing him. I, I feel like their, their blueprint for this season, from what I've seen so far, is that they're going to try and play Kiefer Moore, the, the big Welsh target man, during those games against like the teams that are clearly better than them, clearly superior to them. And they want that target man to soak up the ball well, when work. they hoof it long. It didn't work. No, you're right. But I mean, from what I've seen so far, this is what they're attempting to do. And obviously they just fired Scott Parker and are looking for a new permanent manager. So this may change in the, in the next few weeks. But when they're playing against teams like Nottingham Forest, who, you know, there's more of a, an even sort of talent disparity between the, those two teams, they're going to play Dominic Solanke. They're going to play a young player like Jaden Anthony, who scored the winner. And they're going to, you know, bet on themselves to be able to outperform those teams. Even if Bournemouth have like a 10 out of 10 performance, like attacking wise against a Manchester City or a Liverpool, they may still lose and may still get beaten like handily. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a big boost for Bournemouth and their confidence that they got a result here. And at the same time, I'm still not that worried about Nottingham Forest because of those signings. We're yet to see like Remo Furrier from uh, Atalanta come into the team. We're yet to see Emmanuel Dennis really play consistently consistently in this team. There's, there's other players that I'm sure I'm missing, but they've made the signings that there can still be a higher, higher ceiling for this Nottingham Forest team than... I would expect there could be from Bournemouth. So big game for those two teams. If it was like closer to the end of the season, we'd be calling it a relegation six pointer. But because it's so early, you know, people kind of overlook it. But it was a huge result. Do you want to get into uh, Do you want to at least like kind of preview this Manchester City Tottenham game that's coming up next weekend? Saturday, 1230 p.m. Tottenham have an excellent record against Manchester City head to head. You know, obviously that that game uh, at the end of last season, near the end of last season, comes to mind where Tottenham went to the Etihad one three two, barely had any of the ball. That was you know the only game they played against Manchester City since Antonio Conte's been there. Uh, even before Antonio Conte, they beat Manchester City in the opening game of last season. How how do you fancy their chances again going to the Etihad this weekend? Do you think they're uh, they're well set up to get a result out of this or? Should they be fearing for their lives? I do. I think they are well set up. Um, I think the team has 
not started that well in terms of their attacking players. I mean, Kane's been scoring a bunch of goals, but Son, Kulosevsky... Kulosevsky's you know, been good. He, he's, he's been, been good. Son, yeah, Son's the they, one that stands out been, as underperforming. They haven't been scoring as many goals as they would want, um, and but they're still getting the results, and... Harry Kane is still doing his thing. He's still getting goals, which is what an Antonio Conte forward always seems to do. Get boatloads and boatloads of goals, and Harry Kane's doing it. And uh, they're going to sit back in their low block like they've been doing and defend. And City have been shown. Villa have showed. Newcastle have showed, shown you know, that you can, you can get draws against the City team. You can frustrate the City team and score goals against them as well. So... I think that the Tottenham is set up to do all of those things, and I, I could see like a two-two draw. I could see City dropping points again here, and that would be a big result for uh, for Tottenham. Is that your prediction? Yeah, I'll say two-two. I think Manchester City are winning this game. Uh, I think introducing Holland, where Tottenham were able to frustrate Manchester City uh, in years past. Holland brings that X factor where even if you sit deep on them and f- try to frustrate them, they are able to find Erling Holland whether there is or is not space. He is that good. He works that hard off the ball. Yeah, maybe Tottenham may be able to have a bit more of the ball because City's press may suffer a bit from re- relative to seasons past. But when Manchester City are on the ball, Holland will take more of the chances than uh players in the past have been able to take i think manchester city win 3-1 i'll say 3-1 all right man let's wrap things up there you can follow javier on twitter at javier rev 9 you can follow me on twitter and instagram at asmos92 and you can follow the podcast socials on twitter and instagram at ghost goal pod if you're listening on apple podcast or spotify please go ahead and leave a rating and review those new ratings and reviews help new listeners find the podcast and obviously we'd really appreciate you guys for not only listening but also uh, helping us grow this thing as much as possible javier thanks again for uh, joining me tonight enjoy your return to european football this week javier it's been oh, a year so excited. welcome back Europa to europe League. We are. Th- Wait, no, that's. No, the- no, no, no. It's. Whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's the Europa like League it. theme I song. It. I love it. I love Get it. familiar with it. I'm excited to hear it a lot this season. <laughs> to the final we go, boys. Enjoy it, man. And uh, for all of you, enjoy the European football, including the return of the Champions League I'm uh, this midweek. Charlie Patino in action, Alex. I'm going to enjoy No, no, he's been loaned it. out to Blackpool. Get out of oh, here. Trust shit. me. Shit. No Charlie Patino. You're right. Stop, stop cutting off my outro. Enjoy the football this midweek, guys, and enjoy the Premier League football next weekend. And until next time, see you. <laughs>